You are now entering the world of Musings of a Geek Podcast Network. Stay geeky, my friends. Welcome to Wonderland, Alice. I am back, and this is 40 Going On 14. I'm Mike, by the way. Hi. Uh, I'm Patrick. I'm Joel. And I'm Josh, and I'm just wondering, if the zombie apocalypse happened in Vegas, would it stay in Vegas? Only Pat could tell. The Hangover 4, coming this fall. Right. I'd watch The Hangover 4 if it had zombies. Don't say Am that. I the only one, by the way, that during that new intro, I imagine it's like a bunch of witches doing the polka? <laughs> yes. I would say, yeah. yeah that's okay. you're probably the only one. Okay, never mind then. I didn't say that. Okay. All right. Well, well all right. I don't know where we're going with this. Witches doing the polka was not a thing that I had I thought. Well, we'll just edit that out. That's fine. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back, Mike. Hi. Yes, I'm back. I was in uh, Door County, Wisconsin last week, mm. uh, far away from humanity Everything. and internet. So, did you buy any cabinets? Uh, no, but I did buy uh, wine and apples. All right, that's a very comprehensive grocery list. That's a <laughs> One is food, one is drinks. So, well, but, what do you need? Yes. So, uh, but thank you. I'm back. And today we are talking about Dawn of the Dead, yes. both 1978 and 2004. But before we get on to that, do we have communique from our listeners? Josh? Oh, absolutely, we do. We have a voicemail from a very familiar voice that we haven't heard in quite some time. The Nenim Loss with a like a scarf over his mouth again. Oh no, <laughs> no. We haven't heard from this gentleman in a long time, and we've been requesting it for a while, and here we go. Okay, so uh, I've not listened in a while. I finally put in the effort to finish the show that I I stopped listening on, and it was near the end of the RoboCop show. And it was eight fucking minutes before you retards fucking had me in a fury. The the Desert Eagle, or the the Deagle, as you fucking idiots call it. No one calls it that. That expects to be taken seriously. Um, the Desert Eagle is not the largest handgun in the world. It is far from it. It's a 50 caliber automatic. Uh, and it's uh, AE, I believe, is what the the caliber is. 50 AE. Uh, it's hard to find, and it's not the largest fucking gun in the world. Uh, there's other 50 caliber guns like the Smith and Wesson 500, which come in a six uh, inch barrel, an eight inch barrel and a two-inch barrel uh, that is also 50 caliber and is a magnum cartridge, which means it's larger. It has more powder powder in it, more propellant. Uh, there's also a 50 BMG, which is Browning machine gun cartridge. It's a single-shot handgun that can fire a 50 caliber machine gun cartridge that was designed to knock out tanks. But the largest fucking handgun ever made was made by a Polish dude who's fucking crazy, and he made a 28-millimeter percussion cap pistol. Now, 28 millimeters, uh, that is a giant fucking projectile. It is a working revolver. It's four feet long. I think it weighs like 50 pounds. But even every projectile weighs about a quarter of a pound for that thing. Chewing that, numbnuts. Fuckers. 
He's <laughs> very he angry like, about him. I mean, I got a feeling that the ATF has a file on this guy. <laughs> Why were we like waiting for that again? Because <laughs> if he had done that to the, the bear. yeah, well, it's going to take him six months before he hears this. So, oh, yeah. okay, there we go. Well, it was listening. He now must we, have been now listening. we know when we're going to die. Yes, <laughs> must have been listening to the RoboCop show. If we were talking about the Desert Eagle, yeah. no, the Deagle, yeah, the Deagle, yeah. Wasn't that wasn't that the old lady in Gremlins? I think so. Yes. This so. Is Desert Eagle. Mrs. Mrs. Deagle is the largest handgun in the world. <laughs> I'd like to pull her trigger. Um, then you got the Piat, which is basically an anti-tank shell, a box, and a spring. Talk about a crazy projectile weapon. Charlie's gun crazy, so it's understandable. Good to know. Well, I, I hope he appreciates me mentioning the Piat, because it's one of my favorite. Not really a firearm. It, it literally just pretty much is a box, a lever, a spring, and an anti-tank shell. They Almost couldn't like use IED. it. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the British used it against tanks, but you couldn't use it from the second floor because the projectile would fall out. Did you say it's like an IUD, Pat? IED. It prevents explosions? What? Oh. Ooh, excuse me. But to be fair, an uh, improvised explosive device planted down there would probably prevent pregnancy. <laughs> and uh, living. Yeah, almost certainly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Um, I, I'm sorry. I felt like one of those things where you go on a road trip and you fall asleep in the car and you wake up. You have no damn idea where you are. <laughs> so, uh, so if you wish to, if you wish to yell at us, also, you can yeah. do so through any one of our, these means. Go yeah. ahead, Mike. Yeah, yeah. You can uh, go to seven zero eight now. Wrap that's seven zero eight six six nine nine seven two seven. You can also uh, email us at forty go fourteen at gmail dot com. Also find us on Facebook and on Twitter. We'd also like to give a shout out to our friends and colleagues over at Musings of a Geek Network, uh, including especially, uh, I believe it's Who the What Now, who talked about us this week. So Uh-oh. love you guys. What do we what? do? Yeah, I, I don't know what we did. I, I, I'm so behind on my Musings of a Geek shows. Uh, but uh, we just got a tweet from, let me see here. I believe it's Michael from Who the What Now. Yeah. Uh, oh, we're live tweeting. No, no, no. This this is something uh, about an hour ago. Oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> uh, talking. Almost I guess he tweeting. talked about our show at about the forty minute mark in it. No, twenty minute mark in his last episode. Uh, he says, uh, "Enjoying the show, boys." Yeah, he is a, a co-host of Who the What Now and the Q from Hell. Actually, he didn't make it clear whether they were talking about us on Who the What Now or the Q from Hell, but I presume. Uh, since Q from Hell is a movie podcast, that it was probably Who the What Now. So thanks, guys. Yeah, because we never talk about movies. No. And, and uh, apparently if you don't want us to you know, make fun of you or be mean to you, all you have to do is like rant at us and sound like you're assembling a sniper rifle while you're leaving a message. If he had done that voicemail to a Johnny Cash song, I would have beat myself. <laughs> We'd be changing our names. <laughs> well, that's a show. Thank you, folks. <laughs> Uh, all right, so... Oh, and also, don't forget, you can uh, find our shows uh, Saturdays at noon on Geek Life Radio. You can download the archives at iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, and TalkShoe. And if you happen to use Blueberry or are interested in doing a podcast of your own, you can always use referral code 40GO14, and uh, you'll get a free month of hosting. Right on. Hey, we also have an email yeah. from uh, Killa Wilbach, uh, a co-host with um, Joel on the Coffin Joecast. Which, since I'm the one who kind of ruined this, uh, I suppose I should read the email. 
email retort. <laughs> <clears throat> and this was sent directly to me, but I, I shared it here because it actually pertains to the show. So, hey, mate, I was listening to 40 Go 14 on the way home, the carry episode. Yes, I'm behind on shows. You were talking about cricket. First thing, a hat trick is three wickets, three outs in a row. And the Pakistani cricketer you attempted to name, Javid Miandad, is pronounced Jarved Me and Dad. That's the best way I can type it to pronounce it. I literally laughed out loud on the bus while listening to you talk about it. Got a few strange looks. Yeah, so a hat trick is three wickets. I'm glad we got that cleared up. Yeah. Right. Uh, so I am crystal clear on that now. So in Return of the Jedi, if you get three wicket, wickets, you get a hat trick. What's a wicket? Yeah. I, I, what's funny is Nikki I, I tweeted the same thing at us. It's like, oh, come on. A hat trick's three wickets. Yeah. Like, okay. All right. C- can we trade those in for another form of currency? <laughs> <laughs> and how can many get- boobahs to a schnooha? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, yeah. thank you for educating us on that game that we don't watch. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. For some reason, the wickets are sticky. That's that's Is what it? I know about it. Uh, so what if, if you have three sticky wickets? and You can make a sticky bun. <laughs> no, I'm mm, hungry. Mm, I had sticky buns, but I woke up and didn't know where I was. Hey, it's okay. A, it's about so that time. <laughs> this week in music, movies, and TV. I got to do a scary bumper for, for that. I don't know how it makes it. Well, we scary. only got one week left. Oh, well, there we go. All right. Uh, the year is 1978, the year that uh, Dawn of the Dead was released. And uh, let's see. Music with a little lock by Wings is number one. That's a good song. I like that song. Me too. I don't think I know that song. I don't think I know that one either. What? Yeah, you do. You know it. Everyone you know knows it if you heard that it. song. Well, hang on. It's by Wings, right? Yes. I mean, I know okay. wings. But I know that much. much. Hang on. You, you would know that song. Oh, you, you, you're looking it up? Yeah. You could fix this through the magic of editing. <laughs> you say that a lot, and then he doesn't fix it. I know. It's kind of kind of the joke. Oh, okay. Like Conan O'Brien does that all the time. I don't know why it's not playing. Um, we can fix that part in editing then. Yeah. Right. That's, oh, oh, yeah. There you go. There's a great song. song. I love that song. Oh, now I know what that is. <laughs> yeah. It's three wickets. <laughs> there you go. See? You got the three wickets, you get a little luck, and then Paul McCartney shows up with wings. I never understood cricket, man. Look look at me. I'm giving away wings. (laughs) So, also on October 12th, Nancy Spungen, the American Mm -hmm. girlfriend of Sex Pistols bassist Sid Vicious, is found dead in a New York hotel room of of a stab wound. Sid is arrested and charged. Oh, and October 4th, 24th, something else happens. I thought that was continuing the whole situation. Sid is arrested and charged (laughs) with her murder. I feel like I'm having a stroke while you're reading. Well, who this. wrote that, man? Who can Who starts a sentence with the word "and"? Patrick, he's got you there. Yeah, me because so. I mean that's the end. Sid is arrested and charged with murder. I mean, how much further can you go with that? How about you skipped go- over the charge with murder part, which is kind of important to the story? Okay, he was oh. arrested and charged with a murder. There you go. Apparently, not and, found guilty. Anyway, well, I guess that mystery is just going to hang there. Yeah, you, we don't and need to know. On story. October 24th, Rolling Stones guitarist Keith Richards pleads guilty to a reduced charge of possession of heroin in Toronto. In 1977, that's funny. Yeah, that it's in Toronto. Why is that funny in Toronto? Isn't that where the uh, that one mayor who was smoking crack in that town? Yeah, Rob Ford. Rob Ford town. They got a long history with drugs. Oh, do you know who Rob Ford is, Joel? He drives a Chevy, right? Okay, so the more serious charge of drug trafficking <laughs> is dropped, and Richards is given a one-year suspended sentence, as well as ordered to play a charity concert for the blind. What? <laughs> that sounds like some sort of made-up, like, Simpsons thing. <laughs> no, then it would have been for the deaf. They sent a sound-alike and no one knew. That's gotta be a joke. That, oh, that's yeah, Patrick. That, that was my joke. Thank you. And uh, lastly, on October 20th, the police's first U.S. concert occurs at New York CBGB's, and that is not oh. the acronym of the... I know, yeah, I 
I was thinking of like, oh, I got to make something up for. Oh, wait, no, it's just CBGBs. I was wondering if anybody was going to think that was it. Yeah. So the police got famous after they arrested Keith Richards. It's supposed to be funny. Yeah. <laughs> we know. Yeah, it's supposed to be. Yeah. So anyway, in uh, in movies, The Boys from Brazil is the number one movie and was never heard from again, knocking off Greece after its 15-week run. Is it mere did movies just hang on at number one a lot longer back then than they, than they do now? Yeah. Well, there's a lot of movies released like you know as tentpole-type movies now. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think people are doing movies now with the intention of we're going to take the number one spot for a couple of weeks and they don't want to compete with anything that they think they're not stronger than. Mm-hmm. Okay. Movies. Uh, the original H is released on October 17th. All right, Josh. Heroin. Obviously. Heroin. The original... Uh, yeah, the uh, first heroin. Ah. Wait, what year is this? The, 78? That's your Halloween. The heroin. Oh, there you go. Ah, Joel. Joel. And it was released in Kansas City. Really? Yeah. Yes. Only in Kansas City? Just yes. like Ebola will be. It was released in Kansas City and then it, it was a grass movement, grassroots movement where it was word of mouth that it started to gain momentum before it was released nationally. Huh. And on TV, All in the Family is the number one show because who doesn't love a fat racist? Uh, no one. Cosby? Dan. I don't know. Uh, Happy Days and Eminem are top shows. Masochism. Who doesn't love a skinny and... white guy? What? Ooh. Oh, Mork and Mindy you're talking M- about. Sorry. Yes. Mork and Mindy. And just because I want to talk about it, the Turkey's Away episode of WKRP <laughs> in Cincinnati, Arizona. Doc- that, the Turkey episode on WKRP <laughs> is quite possibly one of the funniest TV shows I've ever seen in my life. Oh, oh man. Yeah. The humanity. <laughs> when when Les is reading the sign, he's like, "From W K R P." With God as my witness, I thought turkeys could fly. This is going out to anybody overseas, Kilowilba and Nikki. Anybody, if you have not seen WKRP in Cincinnati, the Thanksgiving episode, oh my gosh. look it up. It's so good. It's, it's so, so funny. If you want to see the golden era of 70s TV, that was it. Yeah. So, um, sports. It's just one, one big build up to it, just a great payoff of a joke. <laughs> oh, yeah. And uh, sports, October 17th, the New York Islanders start a streak of 23 undefeated games at home, ending 15 0 8. On that same day, the Yankees beat Dodgers four games to two in the 75th World Series. That was, Dude, really, that was a relatively painless. Sport. I know that what? was really easy, man. What are you? Yeah, you're slacking but off. Couldn't find any, you know, Ukrainian women that had done anything you know, that week. So, well, you got the right. Those are always the fun ones when I find, find the Eastern Bloc women with the with the note, you know, one vowel and an 18 letter name. Yeah, that's fun. <laughs> I love that. So, on to the main show, Dawn of the Dead. Again, like we said, came out in '78. It was written and directed by George Romero, who has become known as the uh, creator and godfather of all zombie movies. And uh, the summary is a uh, following an ever growing epic of zombies that have risen from the dead, two Philadelphia SWAT team members, a traffic reporter, and his television executive girlfriend seek refuge in a secluded shopping mall, budgeted at estimated $650,000 to make. Uh, starring David M.G. Is that how you say that? Yep. Okay. yep. Uh, Steve, Ken Foray, uh, who is not Candyman. No. No, he is not. But he kind of no. looks like him. He, he's no, still he working, not. though. Yeah. Rob Zombie's keeping him alive. Hey, that's good. In his basement. <laughs> uh, Scott Rainier, uh Tom Savini, Sex Machine, as one of the motorcycle raiders. Don't Joe forget Tyler. Galen Ross. What's that? Galen Ross. Oh, Don't Galen forget Ross. Galen Ross. I'm, I'm not, okay, Galen Ross. Which as somehow her name got her deleted, name. her character name. Okay. Uh, like Tom Savini, Joseph Pilato. Yeah, it's weird that they only list Tom Savini as motorcycle raider because his character's name was Blade. There was there was a lot of characters that I saw that are like 
first zo- first pie in the face zombie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's probably what they were in is the uh, in the actual official credits because I think Tasso and Stavrakis here. Uh, he's also listed as motorcycle rider, but I th- believe his character's name was Sledge. Oh well, yeah, he, well he used a sledgehammer also, and I he wasn't these guys weren't listed in the original thing. I just put them in there because they're important to the movie as a whole. And Joseph Pilato was a main character. He was um now I'm drawing a blank on his name all of a sudden. Uh, he was a main character in Day of the Dead in '85. Oh, uh, Corporal. God, what was his last name? He gets he bites it big time in that movie. Gets his guts ripped out. Hey, spoiler. Yeah. <laughs> it's 1985. Anyway. So, but we've yep. got the main four: Stephen, Peter, Roger, and Francine. Mm. Right. Thank you, Francine. I don't yeah. know why it got yeah. deleted. That was a four there. Uh, Dawn of the Dead 1978 was intentionally more comedic than Night of the Living Dead because uh, Romero wanted it filmed in the style of comic book. There's a little trivia that we got here. Um, some of the actors playing zombies in the movie would frequently get drunk at the late night bar called the Brown Derby which you saw all the time in the actual movie itself. Yeah. Um, what, and it was like the the sexy bar or something like that, it said. Brown Derby sexy bar on the sign. <laughs> I missed that. It was kind of weird, man. Uh, when the Mon- Monroeville Mall and one night they got lit, stole the golf cart, and crashed into a marble pillar, causing $7,000 worth of damage. How fast do you have to be driving a golf cart to do that much damage to a marble pillar? Maybe it was Not just like a, like a facade. Like it just had a marble like coating on the outside, but it was just plaster and lath underneath or whatever. Um, in the outdoor scene where there's hunters and emergency crew and soldiers are shooting at zombies, uh, it was all done through local volunteers. Several local hunters arrived on scene with their own weapons. Then local National Guard division showed up in full gear and the local emergency crews, police, fire, and an ambulance, and all showed up uh, voluntarily. Because, well, Night of the Living Dead gained such a, a, a midnight showing and cult status that it became like the thing. Like, Pennsylvania is known as, you know, the, the city for zombies. And Monroeville and Zelianopel specifically are are home to that so when they hear every time they hear that they're making another movie you get just more and more extras showing up so from the time night of living dead happened to dawn of the dead happened people were just ready to come out and you know be part of the whole thing oh that's cool i heard that they gave the one of the other things i saw was that they gave the extras um twenty dollars a yep. box lunch and a t-shirt yep <laughs> nice which i've done more for less so yep <laughs> i can't say um, Dawn of the Dead was shot over approximately four months from 77 to 78 um, on a budget of $650,000. Filming a scenes in the Pittsburgh suburban Monroeville Mall, uh, Pennsylvania, was done when the shopping center was closed for business because between uh, 11 and 7 a.m. And Romero was quoted as saying, filming in the mall was hell. Which, well, I'll say I had heard that they had to stop at 6 a.m. because at 6 a.m. the Muzak in the mall would kick on and nobody knew how to turn it off. <laughs> awesome. Which they... Uh... Um, I I made a pilgrimage with our good friend Dennis, who some people who are listening may remember Dennis. But um, like in 1999, he's from Butler, which is just outside of Zelianople in Monroeville. And so I went with him there and we drove through Zelianople, which is where the original was shot. And then we drove to the Monroeville Mall. And there's pictures of this. I have a photo album full of pictures of me at the Monroeville Mall and uh, traveling around to the various spots that the movie was filmed, which had changed quite a bit, of course, um, between 78 and 99. But it was still really cool because a lot of the same stuff was still there. And uh, it was kind of interesting to be on that perspective, you know, to you know, you should put up a couple of pictures on the yeah. page. I'll see if I can dig them out because while we were there, we did that. And then uh, we went out and shot guns. So it was a nice kind of zombie killing type. Very cool. Was uh, the Brown Derby still there in the Monroeville Mall? <laughs> no, most of the stores that are in the movie were long gone. And most of the mall was I mean, it was pretty much just a, a Walker Mall at this point where people, you know, 
know, old people go and do laps. Uh, and a lot of the stuff had changed, like the fountains were gone. Uh, they still had the, you know, the spots where the fountains used to be. But like I found the hallway that they took to go back to uh, uh, go back and forth when they first come out. Um, right. Yeah. And uh, um, I don't know. They just the whole place. It was just neat. To it's a lot bigger um, than it looks in the movie, but it's and it's laid out differently than they kind of you know because through movie magic. Sure. It definitely looks a lot smaller than a, than an actual. I mean, it looked like a really small mall in the movie, so it makes sense. It was, pretty, to be bigger. It was a pretty good size. I mean, you look at what the stores we actually saw. There were a few department stores we saw. We saw the hunting slash gun store. And then we saw the like hockey rink, right? Um, Which that's that uh, that was still down there. That's oh, cool. neat. Was it functional? No, I don't think so. But I mean, I don't know if I don't know. We didn't like, but they still had it. Is what Dennis told me. Mm. That's really that neat. It's still down there. Um, Did you visit the museum while you were there? The museum? Yeah, I, I supposedly the Monroeville Mall has a Day of the Dead museum. Uh, not that I saw. I mean, maybe it didn't exist yet. Oh, uh, that could be. It could be something that was uh, made in the last few years. I mean, now that zombies have become the in thing in the past five years you know it's everybody's all about zombies now but the back then you know was still kind of it wasn't the big thing it is now yeah what i find kind of interesting is that like with all the challenges that we're facing this this has got to be yeah it's one of the most financially successful horror films ever made well just considering how low the budget is versus how much it took in uh i'm certain that uh that was helped by the fact that we've got three complete versions we've got the uh theatrical release which is I believe what we all watched. Then there was the what is named the director's cut, but uh, really isn't. It's kind of the like we found all this footage cut, and then you've got one. Dario Argento's cut, which is much shorter. Yeah, which, I watched the they called it the extended mall hours version. Uh, was the one that I found. It was actually really tough to find this for me. Well, um, um, Romero, his preferred cut is the is the theatrical one, the one that most of us watched. Um, he uh, he has never totally been happy with it, but it had the Goblin soundtrack. They did all the music for it, which uh, is incidentally the, the bed music I used for the Sunshine Happy Pants Hour, um, if you were watching and didn't notice. Um, in the ex- in the extended cut slash the director's cut, it's, it's uh, like 12 more minutes of footage. They take out the Goblin soundtrack and they use uh, like stock music. Yeah, they use the... Uh, I, I made a note of this. They had, in one point, they use the same music from the uh, opening credits from Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Yeah, they, they take a lot of stuff and they... it's The music is a big part of it, that and the extra footage um because the original it was the original version that he aired when it when he first took it to showings before it got edited down and was released and so it's kind of you know it's the one he used on the cans con film festival film festival um and it's not his preferred version although they that's why they say extended cut instead of directors but dario argento who's kind of the the godfather of um giallo kind of that whole italian horror thing that happened which i'm not a fan of i don't like his work at all but um he made a cut for it for European audiences because the European audiences would really react differently. And he took out a lot of the, um, the, the character development and the comedic aspects because it's kind of, you know, he Romero uses it as commentary. So right. he takes it out and he focuses on the action and the violence aspects of it. So it becomes a much darker and much like it's, it's a totally different thing. Plus he, uh, 
I use the the Goblin soundtrack again, but just the whole feel of it is is much different. I mean, like Josh and I had talked about prior to us even doing the show, that if you watch these three movies, it's one of the rare instances where each one is completely different because of the minor changes. Um, All right. Well, are we ready to talk about the movie itself? Because we've made a lot of references, but we haven't actually gone through like the movie for people who are only familiar with it in passing. Mm-hmm. All right. So uh, plot line, zo- well, they actually never use the word zombie. Yeah, it starts uh, after the events of Night of the Living Dead, where the apocalypse is already in full swing. Uh, pretty much, we start in the middle of the action in a newsroom that's trying to get uh, information out to the public right before the emergency networks take over. And uh, even the information that they've got is rapidly becoming out of date as rescue and aid stations are becoming overrun. Uh, seeing what's going to happen, uh, the traffic copter pilot, uh, who is in a relationship with one of the executive assistants there, uh, says, hey, meet me on the roof at 9 o'clock. We're getting out of here. And they plan to pick up a friend of theirs uh, who is a local cop. And uh, while they are raiding a uh, apartment building, to apparently the whole idea for them to raid was to get everybody out of the buildings and into secure areas. Uh, while they're raiding the <laughs> building, with which uh, they also had the psycho racist cop. Yeah, the oh. most ridiculous, <laughs> over the top racist cop ever. Like, well, again, like, he's using what the a film character as, of a character. Like, <laughs> he's using the film as commentary, so it's a little heavy handed sometimes. Um, incidentally, Tasso is the guy that gets shot off the roof, by the way, um, just to give him another tie into the movie. Okay. Oh, okay, sure. The, the other thing I wanted to say was, if that guy who came, the the one guy who ran out with the bandana on... Tasso, yeah. Yeah, if he was Puerto Rican, then I'm a Chalupa. Because <laughs> that was full-on spray-painted makeup on that dude. So, but, well, uh, okay. I think I think one of the things that he was kind of trying to point out is that, you know, they're in this low-income budget housing, and these people are, are the way their culture is designed, you know, they they don't want to give up their space. It's their, their home, so they want to protect it, and they're they're treating it as though it's an illness that they can contain and handle. And so, you know, getting them out of there isn't just a matter of ushering them out and showing them a, a, a different place to go. They have to physically force them out. And of course, under those conditions, things get a little escalated, which I thought they handled that well with the news station um, with kind of how even though the uh, the whole end is coming, they're still like, you know, keep that on the air. Otherwise, they'll stop watching. And incidentally, a little trivia, the, the two guys, the guy and the girl that are sitting at the desk at the beginning that are... Um, one that wants to, to pull the stuff out of her ass. Mm-hmm. Uh, the guy with the beard and then the girl that's next to her, that's George A. Romero and his wife at the time. Nice. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting in that whole scene, like the big standoff that comes between police and the people who live in that building. Uh, one of the cops, in fact, I think it was Peter, uh, after he like reveals himself, takes off his helmet. Uh, says that they're holed up in there because they still have respect for the dead. Like the whole group uh, is refusing the orders of the police to vacate the building because the local priest is not done giving all of the body's last rites. Mm-hmm. You mean the guy with the crutch leg? Yeah, there's a uh, older, he looked like he was either very dark skinned uh, Latino or uh, African American priest. Yeah, and, and he, had a, he had a crutch for a leg. Yeah. I, gu- I guess I missed that. Yeah, yeah he's yeah. missing a leg. His right leg was an actual crutch that just kind of like swiveled with him when he swiveled his hip. Yeah, and I have to say, Ken Foray in the beginning, when he comes up before he takes his mask off, just plays it really cool and badass with uh, taking down uh, the the one cop who goes bizarre. Wally? Yeah, who yeah. just starts shooting everybody and he just walks over. Does he single, single hand shoot an M16? Mm-hmm. Yep. That, that's impressive right there. <laughs> wouldn't you if you were him? Well, he's yeah, he's I mean, a big dude. Yeah, he just, but uh, no, and then I like the um, 
the fact that the cops, you know, they see the ever all this is going on. They go up to the one apartment building and all the boards are nailed across it. And the first thing they want to do is open that thing up. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, there's dead walking around everywhere. Oh, they got to be hiding something in here, you know. And then of course they immediately start getting eaten. But uh, yeah, and I think part of it is their orders are to make sure everybody's out. Yeah. So they've got to kick down doors. They've got to make sure that because uh, I think at that point their orders are still based on the idea that society isn't on the brink of falling apart. And maybe even the people who gave the orders know better, but it's too late. I mean, they've already committed a plan of action. Besides, it gives them a chance to show kind of the the true, the different levels of what this does to people. Because you've got the one guy that shoots himself in the head because he can't take it. And you've got the guy that freaks out and starts just taking advantage of the situation and just starts shooting everybody that is he's racially motivated against. And then you've got the people that step up and are doing their job. And I, I love how the the interplay between when they find the bodies in the basement that are all held up in, in their chain link fence and the army comes crawling by in the, the part behind and they're like, do you need any help? They're like, no, we got it. You know, it's like, uh, it's, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's beautiful chaos. So eventually, uh, Peter joins Roger because, uh, Roger indicates that he's got a way out and the two of them are just done. They, they realize that, uh, everything's falling apart. And if they stay and do their jobs, they're pretty much just going to die. So Peter and Roger meet up with, uh, Steven and his helicopter. And uh, they discuss, hey, is one more person going to be okay? Well, the extra weight's going to tax our fuel, etc. But they decide to take Peter along on the escape. And that proves pretty useful uh, along the way as uh, he is, at, as we've already previously mentioned, uh, both a badass and kind of a crack shot. Yeah, because they should never allow the traffic dude to ever hold a gun. <laughs> well, <laughs> ultimately, I mean, he, he's also kind of the voice of reason. He's the one guy that keeps his head throughout the entire the entire storyline. Wait, Peter or Steven? No, S- Peter. Peter, because I'm like, Steven flips out uh, when the gang shows up because they're taking his stuff. No, 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 no. I'm I'm, I'm talking about Ken Faree's character, oh, yeah. Peter. Yeah, he's yeah. chill the whole movie. He, he kind of creates a, a, a sense of, he's Calm. like an anchor. Calm. Well, yeah. yeah. Which is a surprise surprisingly progressive for the time uh, because Ken Foray is pretty much your lead actor. And that was not something that was common for an African-American actor at the time, especially in the genre. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're talking mostly exploitation flicks that had uh, black actors in the lead. Should, even nowadays, the black guys still die in the horror movies. So. Right. Yeah, pretty, like you said, pretty revolutionary. Yeah. And then you've got the whole character arc uh, with Galen Ross, who actually chose how her character would react at the beginning. Like, a lot of people uh, might see Francine as, oh, well, it's the 1970s and they're having her be weak and helpless. And some people in a situation like that just completely shut down and freeze. They don't know what to do, so they just stand there. And I think it's actually more powerful to see Francine going from someone who is absolutely paralyzed into inaction to eventually becoming incredibly competent, toting guns and taking down zombies with the rest of them and sticking up for her place in the group. Mm-hmm. Flying helicopters Which, and stuff. Because when she first made that stand, she did just go, fall right into the role of nursemaid and everything. But then she finally did eventually start learning stuff. I, I, I thought it was funny. She's like, I'm not just going to you know, sit here and do nothing. And that's all she did for a while. <laughs> well, for the uh, from what I read in the, the bio on the, the movie is that she actually, when um, Romero told her that she he wanted her to scream in the scene, she was like, no, I'm not going to do it because it's going to show my character as being weak. And then he was like, all right, cool. And then never had another qu- 
question about it. She that's what the way <laughs> she wanted to play the character. She wanted to play someone who uh, you know the uncharacteristic person who had their shit together. You know, could was handling it in their own way, but it wasn't flipping out, screaming, and running into the court of zombies as we see in some other movies. Which it takes a it takes a uh, a heavy dose of borrowing stuff from Night of the Living Dead because Ben is the main character in that, who's a rather large African American gentleman, and Barbara, who loses her crap at the beginning of it, gets herself composed a little bit more in the later um, as your lead female. But I think Tom Savini changed that character in the remake and made her more like the Galen Ross character in this. I think probably because of it. But yeah, it's very similar. Where you know in '68, it wasn't a lead black actor wasn't heard of either. So Romero liked. To, to shake it up. And then we eventually get to the shopping mall itself, which originally is just a convenient place to land the chopper because they're concerned. They've got hours or maybe even days worth of fuel, but they know that fuel is going to run out. Uh, they briefly stop to fuel up before they hit the mall, but it's not going to be nearly enough. Helicopter zombie. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yes. Before we hit the mall, we should talk about helicopter zombie because it is one of the great scenes of incidental gore. Yeah, that one when he um, they're filling up the helicopter and one zombie decides he's going to crawl over the crates to that are nearby to get to, uh, was it uh, Steven? Yes, yeah, Steven. Yeah. No, no, I think no, it was, it was Roger. Roger. It was Roger. Yeah, because Steven oh, was uh, busy. Yeah, because Steven was busy aiming his gun at Peter. At Ken Foray, right. who really had issues with it. Yeah, um, Roger was constantly getting caught in vehicles, not paying attention with zombies coming up behind him. Like he was a, a good guy, but that was something that happened to him throughout the film. There not was, a very good SWAT guy. But. Yeah, that was going to say, there, there was a lot of times where I was watching that. I'm like, Jesus, just turn around once in a while. Right. I, I don't understand. Here we are. We're going to land the land the copter in the middle of this field, try to refuel as much as we can. Let's just leave most of the guns in the cockpit of the, of the helicopter and go wander off pretty much on our own. Um, which also, but though, that gave us a cool scene of uh, the kid zombies. Right, where Peter uh, takes careful aim at about head height uh, and is figuring he's got the zombies dead to rights. He doesn't hear anything move, and then he opens the door and sees why he didn't take them out. It's because their heads were much lower because they were small children. Yeah, I think those were actually Romero's niece and nephew. One of the one of the main guys, uh, niece and nephews, and they are the only zombies to have actually run in any of uh, Romero's movies. And they did. Yeah, yeah. uh, They were actually Donna and Mike Savini, who are the real life niece and nephew oh. of tom savini okay well, there, there you go. go close enough yeah so uh but no that that the hel- the helicopter zombie he climbs up on the crate and gets right in the way of the blades and it just takes the top of his head clean off and that was pretty sweet yeah brilliant tom savini special effect so a little bit of sleight of hand and it looks like he's getting his head chopped off frankenstein he's yeah. got yep. that flat top happening so how about that blood? <laughs> well, you know, again, at the time, seeing it was 78, they were on a lower budget. And, and Thomas Savini's even commented on how it looks like they've just spilled red paint everywhere. It's it's all the colors are very vibrant throughout the whole movie. Yeah. Which fits with the whole, I want to shoot this like a comic book sort of aesthetic. Yeah, yeah. That's how I think that's also why they left the, they colored the zombies the way they were. They wound up looking kind of bluish and they liked it that way. Yeah, right. kind of like a Smurf thing going on. With the- sure. Well, some of that was my financial constraints. Others was, you know, just sheer number. I mean, they, they the amount of zombies in that versus Night of Living Dead was, you know, astronomically much more. Yeah. Also, the, the in my opinion, of the most dangerous stunt I have seen in the movies, uh, the entire movie, the dude that was laying down on the escalator. Oh, oh, sure. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, dude, you are going to get eaten by those teeth at the top of the yeah. escalator, man. There goes your face. Yeah. That kid is on the escalator again. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we get to the mall itself and uh, they find their way in through the roof and realize that there is a small area that is not part of the mall itself where no zombies have found their way in. And uh, originally, 
they're just going to stop and rest there for a little bit, resupply up and get back in the chopper. But then they realize that uh, it's not going to be too hard to completely seal off all the entrances, clear out the inside of zombies and hunker down for a little bit. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, back see, back then, I originally was thinking about it. I'm like, man, there's a lot of stuff in that one store. Apparently, JCPenney's, they were getting a lot. But then I remembered is that back then, the department stores were that eclectic. Mm-hmm. I mean, there mm-hmm. was. I mean, now you go to JCPenney's, you've got your you know clothes, you've got your bedding, you've got your dishes. You don't have a candy counter. But then I remember back in 78, yeah, they, yeah there was. There was, a, there was a soda fountain and a candy counter over at Marshall Fields when we used to go downtown. I mean, they had all sorts of crazy stuff in those in those malls especially in the bigger stores well there was no walmart yet and you know there wasn't all that other i mean the mall was more the place to go to find all their needs so they had a bar and they had a gun store which you would never see now yeah so it's a totally different world and it it works for the this movie which i think when we get to the new one we talk about how that changed but um in this reality it it, uh and i've been wanting to say this actually this is something you said josh about um, back when we were talking about uh, Fright Night, and I think this this movie is my Fright Night in the regard in regards to the power fantasy. Where in Fright Night, you talked about having the power fantasy of you know the kid that overcomes the bully, older bully who takes his girlfriend. Right well, here, it's here it's the idea of being overwhelming odds, no law, nobody watching over your shoulder, and taking over the one place where you have access to everything you could ever want. Maybe not necessarily need, but. Any, anything and everything that you always wish you could get, now it doesn't matter because money doesn't matter anymore. And all you have to do is, you know, kill these nasty things that are in your way. So, And that that's where the movie starts to get interesting. Uh, despite a lapse in concentration by Roger, which uh, leads to him being bit, they seal off the mall. And then you get to the question that had not been asked up to this point in a zombie movie. Because usually a zombie film is like, survive the night. And by the time you get to daytime or a certain period of time, help will be coming. This asks the question, what happens when you realize help is never coming? What do you do then? And they have to entertain themselves, try to make some semblance of a life. And they start to turn into this like little microcosm of a family with all of the communication problems and all of the interpersonal conflicts that come along with that. Uh, until a certain point where Francine just breaks down. It's like, what are we turning ourselves into? They're right. fighting about nothing. At first, it's fun. There's, you know, there's the fun of not having to do anything and feeling safe and having access to anything and everything throughout the mall. And you're right. It slowly breaks down to where it just turns into this monotony. Yeah. And- <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. Pat. And it probably doesn't help that they lose Roger along the way uh, because he, in addition to his maybe not so great uh, concentration skills, uh, he does have a childlike enthusiasm that brought something different to the group dynamic that was certainly sorely missed once he turned and had to be put down. Well, yeah, the when they were doing the shopping scene, him sliding down the escalator center, you know, he it, you can tell he was having a good time. His character it was just like he was finally able to let go. Yeah, you know, and even when he's dying from a zombie bite, he's like trying on funny hats and yeah, yeah. He kept he tried to keep. He was like the the one optimist in the whole group. It seemed like the rest of them there was like okay 
okay, this is cool, but we know it's going to end. And he was like, I know I'm here. You know, I got, I don't say I got bit at this point, but he's like, I'm going to make the best of it. You know? Yeah. Even to the end, I think he's kind of that eternal optimist where he's like, well, shoot me if I'm coming back, but I'm going to try not to. Like, that's something you can just do. And when he finally does turn, you've got the background of the scientist arguing with the audience about how you've got to be rational. You've got to be realistic about this sort of thing. And just like the dream kind of ends when Roger has to be put down. Mm -hmm. And I just thought that that was a really, really cool interplay between everything that was going on and then what has to come next, where uh, they're only broken out of their rut by some this huge traveling army group of bikers that has been going ravaging and uh, terrorizing and scavenging their way across the country that realizes that they've got something and the biker gang wants it. Well, and that's one of the the lines that always just made me angry, not at the, the at bad writing or anything, just at the, the when a movie physically makes you feel anger or sadness, it means it's 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 a good movie. And when that, when they say you know you've got something and you're not sharing and that's not nice you know what do they have that they're not i mean nobody else knew it was there you know they took it on their own and they probably would have welcomed other people in if they came the right way but then when they realized you know then you just hit the nail on the head they said you know it's a traveling army man they've been living on the road the entire time and to think you've got these people out in the open unprotected and they're making a living of it and they're surviving and thriving i mean they're <laughs> not somebody you probably want to mess with right and that's the thing is it's a paper thin justification like uh, they know that they're just going to come in and ravage these people and take anything they have of value, but they're going to take this imagined slight of you wouldn't share with us. So now we're going to get you. You you screwed up. We're going to punish you for that. You deserve this. Yeah. And then the pie fight. <laughs> well. I mean, the, the, the scene where they're, well, one thing I, I, Steven, like I said before, they should have never given Steven a gun. I don't care if he got better with it later on in the end. Don't give that guy a gun. Cause what does he do? He hides behind a bench. And and then he finally gets mad at the point where he starts shooting at these guys. That if they had just let them alone, let them run rampant through the mall, they would have left, moved on, and they could have, you know, done like they did before. Seal it up, keep moving, and, you know, make it safe again. And then they wouldn't have come back because they had thought they had taken everything from the mall again. So... Or the zombies would have got them. Yeah. Well... Either way, they've got the helicopter on the roof. They could have waited it out, taken what they needed, and left and gone somewhere else if they couldn't reseal it. Yeah. Either way, that once the guys were in the mall, they weren't really looking for them actively. Right. And that that was Peter's advice. It's just like, keep your head down, wait for this to pass. But I think that Roger just, no, sorry, not Roger. Uh, Roger's Steven. dead by this point. Steven, by this point, he f- had proved his usefulness and had kind of felt like he was part of the group. But he's constantly frustrated by having his desires subverted, being told no. Like, this is a spot where he's supposed to be totally free, but, like, his girlfriend won't marry him. Uh, he thinks he's going to be calling the shots, and he's not. His ideas aren't being taken seriously. And then, the like, the final insult, like, he He's got this one thing and these guys are taking it away. He just snaps. He's just like, this is the last time I'm going to be made to feel powerless. I'm going to kill these guys. And that's kind of a bad idea when you're outnumbered like 50 to one. But like, I can understand that. 
Yeah, I I just I just think that Stephen at that point Stephen I don't I don't see the switch as clearly as that. I just think it's you know at that point it must have been like you think the self preservation instinct would have kicked in harder. You know I mean we're seeing these guys driving around in the three wheelers with Tommy guns and you've got one rifle. I just I I one thing I could buy. Well, he had to go nuts because plot. Oh, okay, sure. well there you go. Uh, yeah, and I'm not gonna say it's a smart decision or even a reasonable one, but I I can see that in the course of his character it's an uh, action that can make sense from a certain perspective. Yeah. One thing I did learn about that whole situation is that if you are in the middle of a fight with a horde of zombies, you should always leave your sombrero on when checking your blood pressure. Yeah. What the hell was that about? <laughs> I don't understand that. Why what did... in the hell was that about? Why did he hook himself? Uh, yeah, this is a great time to get my blood pressure checked. I'm, I want to make I, sure I don't die of high blood pressure. You know, I think die of these zombies. They were so confident that they <clears throat> were indestructible at that point that he just didn't think about it. He and, was probably well, screwing around. I mean, that one's weird because it is at the point where the zombies are starting to turn the tide. Well, I mean, he was surrounded by zombies. And he sits down at the... Yeah, and just stops taking his blood like, pressure. Oh, yeah, hey, I was, I was going to check my blood pressure. I think they had that joke where the the arm is left in the blood pressure machine and your blood pressure is zero over zero. I think that's... they For some reason, Romero wanted that joke in the, in the film. Sure. Yeah. And yeah. He, he just, you know, no, you got to go back. He's, and, you know, I don't care how many people argued against that at that point where, that's you know, it. the guy in the sombrero was like, there's no way I'm going to be... St- I'm going to... I, anybody would do that, but Romero... That's almost entirely what what had to have happened. Somebody, it's like somebody's little pet joke that they wanted to make sure was included in the movie. Yeah. And it was it, it was really stupid. So it's fun, and I think I think uh, Roger's reaction is is justified in in the sense that Steven, you know, if you were in that, or Stephen, right? Roger's dead. Um, that if you were at that point, it's possible to conceive that you know it, it might make sense to you that you could pick off enough that they would run away or that you could win. You know, but another thing I want to I want to I have issue with what if you are cleaning up all you've cleaned up the mall, you've gotten the doors barricaded, you've picked off all the remaining zombies. Now we got to clean this place up. Why is it a smart idea to put all the zombies in the cooler where you have all your food? Yeah, I didn't freezer. get that either. Why wouldn't you take them outside or take them up to the roof and throw them off the roof and burn them or something? Anything? I, I know. Well, let's, let's put them in with all the fresh food. And as many zombies, zombies as they had, there's no way they were going to fit all those in that cooler. You know, right. even if you took all the food out, which would be stupid. Yeah. Right. There were. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm with, just going to go ahead and say it right now. I had a lot of problems. I I did too. I had a lot of problems with the movie, but if I, the only reason. I enjoyed it was because I had to put on the it was 1978 glasses. I, I think I think I lost those. You well, lost your glasses. I, I think it's more about the overall concept and the execution than it is about the actual the finite details of what makes up the overall story. Um, and we should get to the the ending before we get to the actual discussion of what we thought about it. Or okay, that's yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So Stephen gets shot by the bikers when they figure out he's hiding on top of the elevator. They they shoot uh, through the a few times and one of them gets lucky and catches him in the arm which uh, makes it difficult after he's fallen back into the elevator and zombies start to swarm him too difficult for him to climb back out of the roof and they get him then because it's been established that zombies have some memory of their life and they're kind of walking through the motions he knows that he wants to go where he lives with uh, Peter and Francine, and he knows where the fake wall is, so he ends up leading the rest of the zombies up there, which basically makes it so the mall has to be abandoned. Yep. Mm-hmm. 
So he goes up, finally gets home, and he doesn't really even attack him either. He just sort of walks in and sits down. Well, he gets <laughs> shot as soon as he comes around the door. Yeah, but then the he, rest of them he opens in. it. He wa- starts walking towards him, and the, and he gets shot immediately. And then then the other zombies start coming in. Yeah, and then he just Gale- walks in. He's like, "Sup?" <laughs> More or less, yeah, because uh, he almost like he tries to shut the door. Yeah. Then Galen Ross takes off. Well, again, Peter says that he's not leaving. I'm sticking around. Galen which, Ross was weird. Yeah, that was kind of strange. Uh, she gets up in the helicopter and starts it up. When also when. And zombies discover I didn't realize zombies could climb ladders but they can so they get up on the roof for chasing her down and then Peter has a change of heart completely flip flops yeah I think he gets to the spot where he wants to be like no I'll hold them off uh, this I don't understand where we'd go anyway screw it this was our home I'm gonna die here and then he gets to the point where it comes to the actual reality of shooting himself in the head and he's like you know what living's better yeah <laughs> he's like I'm out. And then they play the heroic music as he's climbing up the ladder. They've got like that, you know, Captain America type music playing when he turns tail and runs. Well, I, I don't know. I, I don't know how much you guys know about it, but the original ending um, was a bit different. <laughs> um, yeah. And I'm glad they went this route because ultimately I think them choosing it gives gives you the feeling that, you know, there might be another tomorrow. And of course that leads into Day of the Dead later, which doesn't tie in directly to this, but you, you get that idea. Because um, in the original screenplay, Play, um, they were they were going to kill themselves. Peter was going to shoot himself, and then Fran was going to put her head into the chopper blades. And the end credits would then run over the blades spinning and winding down as the engine kills. Um, and and the thought of her being pregnant and committing suicide in that fashion is pretty horrific in and of itself. So yeah, it could have been much darker. Hmm. Okay. So yeah, think of the ending uh, of Clerks. <laughs> yeah, I was just I was just thinking about that. I'm like, that's all. That's as almost as bad as the Clerks ending. Right. So they uh, Peter decides that he's gonna decides like you said, living is good. I'm gonna live, and he runs up there, jumps in the helicopter, and they take off into the sunrise with a bunch of rations and food in the in the base, a full tank of gas, and Francine knowing how to fly. And then they cut back to the mall and show all the zombies that have now overtaken it again. Yes, my favorite zombie is Machine Gun Zombie. <laughs> Oh yeah, just heck. I also like a fat guy in swim trunks zombie. He was great yeah, too. Yeah, he was he was awesome. I yeah. like fat guy in swim trunks, but but the fact that machine gun zombie held on to that machine gun through the entire movie until, and then traded up and then, and then swapped out for the rifle and then he <laughs> walked around looking down the barrel of the rifle the entire time, which makes you wonder what that guy did before he became a zombie because that's the first thing he goes, oh a gun, or I'm going to look right down the barrel on this. You know, it's like I I don't know what is there a certain job that would require that Republican. <laughs> there's a there's a couple of great. Uh, um, featurettes and documentaries about the making of this movie and, and one of them shows uh, at one of the anniversaries where they had some of the people come back to the Monrovia Mall um, for one of the re-releases of the film and uh, the guy the, the older zombie who kind of rides up on the escalator and looks kind of dumbfounded when he starts going up mm-hmm. and he kind of turns around and has that blank look on his face that guy showed up at the mall and he's like he's, he's talking about how he it was weird to be uh, thought of as a celebrity just because he was a, a stand-in that you know rode up the escalator <laughs> um and I don't know, there was a lot of them that and they all got to pick out their, you know, their individual characters like the nun and the baseball player. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of really fun archetypes, archetypes. Yeah. Stereotypes. I don't Can know. you stereotype a zombie? I, I suppose. Racist. They're all kind of gray. So racist or blue. I don't know. Racist. Shut Big, up. OK, fine. Bigot. All right. So are we ready to go to the break <laughs> and then uh, we'll come back and talk about the remake a little bit? Yeah. Let's do that. I think that's a good idea. All right. We'll be back. All right. All right. All right. Just hold it there till it spits out at you. Hello, everyone. Thank you for waiting for us. And we're back to talk about Dawn of the Dead 2004. How does Mike not understand how recordings work? He does the voice. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. know. What? <laughs> 
Uh-oh, there's a phantom voice in the background. Yeah. All right, so we've got a remake here. Don't be jealous that I have studio audience. <laughs> All right, so we got a remake, 2004. Yes. Directed by Zack Snyder of Man of Steel fame. Uh, Watchmen what, what? 300. That was going chronologically backward, dude. Oh, I'm just trying to share some of his better works. Okay, go ahead. No, oh, I'm done. Okay. And All then right. written by <laughs> George Romero and James Gunn, who is now known for... Guardians of the Galaxy. Indeed. Yep. Indeed. And is probably one of the happiest men on Earth when they send him the check for how much he's making on that damn movie. Yeah. And will continue to send him yeah. checks. And he oh. deserves it because that movie is awesome. Yes. In I, perpetuity. It is one of the few movies that I have in recent time gone to see more than once at theater. In fact, I've, seen I've saw times. it three times myself. Yeah. Once saw it three times also. <laughs> uh, so, directed by Zack Snyder, written by James Gunn, helped with George Merrow, and uh, budget of $26 million. How bad could this be? <sighs> a nurse, a policeman, a young married couple, a salesman, and other survivors of a worldwide plague that is producing aggressive flesh-eating zombies take refuge in a meta mega Midwestern shopping mall. Yes, and this does take place in, I believe, the Milwaukee area versus... Yeah. I think it's uh, versus... Yeah, versus uh, Pennsylvania. Yeah, they call, they call it out. They, they're talking about Milwaukee in the very beginning of it. Uh, mm. Starring Sarah Polly? Polly? Polly. Polly as Anna, uh, known for Mr. Nobody. Has anybody seen that? Oh, yeah. Nope. See it. Nope. Good stuff. Uh, Splice and Go. Ving Rhames. It's kind of in, from Pulp Fiction and Mission Impossible. As well as just, you know, being Ving Rhames. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. yeah. You look like that. You're just known for that. Yes. Uh, Jake Weber. It was kind of hard to find anything else that this dude did. but He was, he was on Media with Patricia Arquette. He was her husband. Oh, I haven't watched that. Oh, I did watch that, and I didn't make the connection. Mm-hmm. So U five seventy one, who's also in, and Meet Joe Black, uh, Mackay Pfeiffer. Thank you. Andre was Torchwood, Lie to Me, and lots of other TV spots. Lots of TV. Him and Ty Burrell as Steve the Dick, and he's in Modern Family, playing pretty much the opposite of Steve. Yeah, pretty much. That's <laughs> uh, that's that's the main crew. The, we've got Matt Frewer that also is a. Makes a short appearance in the film. Yeah. Uh, Max Hedrum and also in Watchmen, incidentally. Poor Matt Brewer. Yeah. <laughs> so, Things did uh, not end well for Matt. No. So, uh, same plot line as the first one. They hole up in the mall. Uh, I'm going to disagree with you there. Well, I mean, well, <laughs> that far. A zombie apocalypse, they run to the mall, they hole up in the mall. Well, yeah. I mean, basically, they were like, okay, got it. Uh, black guy, mall zombies. Uh, I'm pretty sure we've got enough to go on now. Otherwise, it's not at all the same movie i i may be betraying how much i like or dislike this movie already but <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, think yeah, I was trying to figure out which side of the fence you were on there yeah lines are being drawn right now i think so <laughs> oh, but uh, i'm already feeling hurt for the scene where anna stitches up kenneth's wounds anna plays a nurse in this one which i thought was pretty cool how they started it out that way uh the director hired a real nurse for the close-ups she misunderstood the director's directions and to go deeper and inadvertently punctured ving Rhames skin and stitched the per- Prothesis to his Prosthesis. arm. Prosthesis. That too. The proboscis. That too. Yes. Uh, no. He, they, he, she stitched the special effect to his arm. Yes. And he didn't say anything until after the scene was done filming. And, and then he slapped a bitch. <laughs> was, so, if you're ever wondering how tough Ving Rhames is. Yeah, let's see. He's pretty high on the scale. Fuck pride. pride. So uh, they thought that was really a a really good effect, as as they said. Was it would have been had it been a. (laughs) (laughs) It's no longer an effect when you're actually bleeding. Yeah. 
um, the two zombies with missing limbs, the jogger that was missing an arm, and more famously the legless zombie that crawls along the ceiling, were played by actual amputees. Nice. Yep. Yeah. So, which is not uncommon these days in this that genre. No. Uh, and Universal significantly slashed the film's budget after House of the Dead. The Uwe Boll. Yeah. Ugh. And they said there was no appetite for zombie movies. Which, Whoops. yeah. I, I, I hate, I, I, and I know Josh and I are going to vehemently disagree on this film, but um, I think that this movie kind of is a reason that zombies started to gain popularity. It had the opposite effect of what they were seeing at the time. Because this one kind of heralded the beginning of what was then thrust forward and became what it is now thanks to The Walking Dead, but... Yeah, I, I think you're you're making a one, correlation that is not causation, considering there's almost 10 years between the two. No, but this one this one lit the fuse, in my opinion. Because <clears throat> there was really no zombie movies prior to this that were really doing anything. House yeah, of the Dead was an attempt. The first, the first zombie movie that I saw in a theater. And then they yeah. started to branch off into the plague genre, which is a subgenre of the zombie genre, which is a subgenre of the horror genre. And then it became a thing. So whether you like it or not, this is, I, think, I believe, the... I agree with Joel on this one. This one kind of made people notice that zombies were really good in the horror and movies. I actually, I actually agree with him, too. Yeah. Uh, but I agree, I do think that House of the Dead being in Josh is like, well, you're all wrong. Yeah, I mean... I, I, He's going to be in the minority across the board. Maybe, and that's... Maybe, maybe it's because, for me, zombies were never not a thing that I didn't notice a change. I could, I could be wrong in this particular instance. <laughs> Well, no, we're on the same page there. You, you and I both. I mean, zombies were have always been a part of our horror watching diet. But the fact that it brought them to the mainstream and made them what they are today. I mean, this. Yeah, did you, that. you can't deny that this is this <clears throat> with the amount of effects and the amount of good effects in this movie that this is one of those that made the general populace go, "Hey, that's that was a really scary movie." You know, that's they're pretty good as being the the group of villains. The effects were good. Yes. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I might be done saying positive things about this. Uh, no, right. there's there's a few other things. Okay, but uh, also Nathan Fillion auditioned for the role of Michael. This would have made it a different movie. Would have made it a completely different movie. <laughs> Very different. Yeah. And I threw in the next one because if you're a nerd about the first one, which I don't feel like I did justice to the first one in the first half because it is my all-time favorite horror movie, but um, Ken Faree makes a guest appearance as a preacher. Mm-hmm. Um, Scott H. Reiniger plays a beret-wearing uh, soldier guy who is being interviewed on the TV and Tom Savini, um, you know, comes back as a the guy that tells him to shoot him in the head as yeah. the the cop. We got that, a twitcher over there. <laughs> he's right. just, yeah, he's basically the the cop character from the original Night of the Living Dead. That kind of art stereotype, okay. kind of the good old boy, as it were. There were a lot of tips of the hat to the '78 movie in this one. Like, oh yeah, you had added that there is a uh, store in the mall called Galen Ross, which is the name of the woman who played Francine in the original. Nice. Who when Matt 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 Brown and I went and saw this in the theater, theater together and uh when that popped on him and i both looked at each other and went <gasps> like oh my gosh we got all excited and geeked out um and uh, there was something else i was going to mention about oh galen ross if if anybody is a fan of hers and is like i've never seen her anything she made one of the really fantastic movie called madman it's an 80s movie that kind of is a, a tie it's kind of like the uh friday the 13th but it's much it's a really good take on that whole genre and after that she went and started selling diamonds huh. she's like a jeweler <laughs> so anyway, sorry, go ahead. 
diamonds? Yeah, like she's it was a diamond. Uh, uh, oh. I can't think of what you call it, broker. A sailor. Okay, that's weird. All right. She she went into jewelry. She's selling her best friends. Pretty much. So uh, a sequel was planned, but later canceled. Zack Snyder stated that he would only be producing the sequel instead of reprising his role as director due to working on Watchmen. It's a smart move. Yes. Uh, the script for Army of the Dead was written by Zack Snyder and Joby Harold. Joby? Hobie. Joby. 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 Yeah. Uh, filming for Army of the Dead was to start once they got a director and producing studios had approved the script. And also, according to Deborah Snyder, the film was set in Las Vegas and the town had to be contained due to, to stop the outbreak of zombies. This when I put this in here and when Josh decided on what he was going to say at the beginning, I thought it was kind of ironic. That is funny. <laughs> I was waiting for that. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yep, producing yep. studios were Universal, who released the first one, and Warner Brothers, who has released a bunch of Snyder films since 300. And uh, it was supposed to be directed by what? Matt? Matt Just I'm say the sure. guy that directed the Thing remake. The guy who wrote the Thing remake. There's a lot of consonants in that name. And there are literally <laughs> three, Yahoo, there, there's, no. there's three vowels, and two of them are the same. <laughs> I can't say that. Matthias von Heingingen Jr. Yes, that guy. So uh, sounds like you're starting a car. Heingingen. <laughs> <laughs> so all right, the plot is similar. Can you give me that. Uh, yes, it, it's it's people hold it's, <laughs> it's people hold up in a mall fighting for survival in a zombie apocalypse and taking advantage of the fact the mall has most of the necessities they need and they make it last as long as possible. Okay. Basic, the core of the film is the same. Yes. The surrounding events and other things outside of it are not. Yes. Little Girl Zombie was pretty freaky. All right. Well, let's start before that because, like, the first kind of twinge of unease I had with this is one of the big differences is in the original Dawn of the Dead. We're already mid-apocalypse. And this one decides, you know what? Uh, we haven't seen ever before in a zombie movie. The everybody like going to sleep and walk, waking up and the zombie apocalypse happened overnight and they didn't know about it. Except we'd already seen that in like every zombie movie ever, except the original Dawn of the Dead. So they make this baffling change to decide that we're going to have the apocalypse happen like in the first act, which I was like, okay, all right, well, let's see. I, I already don't like this choice, but let's see about how I feel about as a movie, maybe not like as a remake. Cause as Joel has reluctantly brought me around on some of these ideas, like if a movie stands on its <laughs> own, it, it doesn't have to be shot for shot. It doesn't have to be, uh, it, it can capture the spirit of the original, and not necessarily hit all of the individual points and individual scenes. That's fine. But already I was kind of predis predisposed to dislike certain things about the movie with that tonal shift, making me wonder if they were going to miss some of the points of the original. So let's move on. See, I, I well, I I thought that was uh, I liked that. I think it was one of the more exciting openings to a film because it gave you a chance to kind of ease into it a little bit. And I, I don't take this as a straight remake. And I don't think remake should be a note for note, shot for shot. I think that defeats the purpose of the remake. But uh, exactly. And I've talked about that in uh, ad nauseum about my whole belief on Psycho and all that. But um, I, I I enjoyed that piece of it. I thought watching the world kind of disintegrate and how people were reacting was maybe it wasn't a new thing, but I thought the way they did it was entertaining. I like okay, it. like when you've got the Johnny Cash song playing, like that whole vignette, I'll give it props for that being pretty cool. And that was real blood, by the way, that they were the guy used for that that designed that. Just a fun little side note. Hmm. 
whose blood? That doesn't say. I just uh, there's a there's a and one of All the right. ma- making of that they would talk about how he used actual blood, probably animal blood. But anyway. <laughs> and they're like, whose blood? It's like I don't have to answer that without my lawyer <laughs> present. Yeah. <laughs> right. It wasn't you, so shut up. <laughs> anyway. Uh, and then very quickly we meet the little girl and then the second I see her, I'm like, yeah, the next time we see her, she's going to be a zombie. She and was. that's less of an issue of like this movie. It's something that kind of annoys me about modern movie making is like telegraphing stuff like that so hard. Yeah, you it's never like, see anything in a movie that isn't going to come back in some kind of you know way. Right. And yeah, yeah like zombies can't just be like somebody who's down the neighborhood that she'd never met before. Right. Uh, and it absolutely had to be the one person she encountered the night before. Well, but in the, in the, the, in the defense of that, if this little girl is somebody who spends time with them and is friends with her, um, it's going to be logical that if she's going going on motorized instinct she's going to go back to the place that's familiar i'll give you that what's what's uh, what's i get what you're saying the foreshadowing was very obvious but at the same time it also made you care a little bit more about the character just a hair because there was that interaction you had they had a history and it gave them reason to not suspect her initially and and completely freak out right away well and sure. if you have the guy down the street who you never really talked to turn into a zombie it's not as horrifying as it is as if it's the little girl next door sure there's more of a shock to it there's more of a more of a hit when you see that she has this little interaction and you tell that the girl is comfortable around her and you obviously knew that they interacted often and it was you know they had a good relationship and the little girl liked her and you in that little interaction you know the girl comes over and she's like hey check it out I learned how to skate backwards oh that's awesome you know something that everybody's done it hits sure closer to home on that and the boyfriend uh, didn't think it was all that unusual that the little girl was in their house while they were asleep so that's that's fair yeah I mean obviously she's been over before you know so something and in his mind that's why he ran over to her immediately was something horrible has happened because she's here she's not with her parents and she's and, bloody yeah yeah she looks injured yeah so i mean and without that i mean it's if you you think about it if you have somebody who you're close to get zombified that hits more close that hits harder than oh look it's another zombie of a dude i don't know well and i think it also set the tone for the film that nobody's safe uh, yeah, I guess. I mean, I don't think that the characters that we'd seen on screen for all of a few seconds necessarily earned any empathy from me yet. Like, I intellectually understand what you guys are saying. I don't know that it worked for me. And that's fine. I mean, I've walked into a movie where I was bound to determine that I was not going to like it or that I had no desire to see it. I wasn't ready to see it yet. There's certain movies that I'll see them that they're coming out and I'll say to myself, if I watch that now, I'm not going to like it. But if I wait and I give it time and I let it settle and I get past my current state of emotions towards it, I may sit down and watch it again. And that's why I said last week about Fright Night, you know, after I listened to the show again and thought about it, I'm like, you know, I probably was judging it too harshly based on preconceived notions. Sure. And I think part of that, no offense, I think part of that is where you're coming from. And I'm not saying that that won't change, but, you know, I've been in that. I've been on those shoes. <laughs> yeah, I, I was trying really hard to give this movie a chance and it kept letting me down. Um, I, I knew about the running zombies and I was like, you know what? I'm going to view the running zombies with an open mind because what if they're trying to answer the question of, well, why wouldn't the zombies be able to run until they've rotted for a minute? And if in the second half to the third act of the movie, the zombies had started to move slower, I actually would have really respected that choice. It's like, OK, they're fresh. They've still got all their motor faculties. This is an interesting take. It's not necessarily the Romero style zombies, but it doesn't have to be. They're answering a different question, but they retain their mobility despite having been dead for months. So that was another big strike against it for 
for me. Like I tried to give it, 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 it's like, okay, this is something they're doing different and they're doing, uh, doing it in an interesting way, but it fell flat in the end. Do we know how long they wound up? They were actually in the mall. Uh, it is pretty clear that they had been able to completely run out of a Starbucks style, uh, squirty thing just being used in the guy's coffee every day. Uh, well, and they, thing. they made reference to them having been in there weeks or months. Oh, okay. Well, oh, the, um, the, the, uh, the pump thing, the Cambro thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The thermos. Uh, uh, oh, crap. What were you talking about? Just hold it till it spits on you. No, no, no. Before <laughs> that, what were you talking about, Dash? Um, running zombies. Running zombies. Oh, that's the one thing that I, I do want to point out. And, and, George Romero has been very vocal about this, that one of the things that he hates the most about the current trend is he doesn't believe that zombies would ever run under any circumstance. And he points out, you know, the whole philosophy that uh, tendons would snap and things would, because as soon as a body ceases to exist, it starts to decay within seconds. And the decay just speeds up the faster, the more, the longer you're dead. And so, you know, he has a problem with that. But I, I get the point where if I see what you're saying, which is what The Walking Dead is doing there. As the seasons progress, the zombies have become more, more and more decayed. Yeah. And 28 days later did the same thing where over time, the zombie, well, they, in that case, they're plague victims, but they start to slowly rot and starve and die. Mm-hmm. And it's logical. It makes sense. Over time, things are going to eventually break down. So I get your point. Okay. I still think you're wrong, but I get your point. <laughs> All right, so I'm trying to think of more things I could say that won't trigger Josh. Uh, I'm going to be ranting like, um, oh, there are a few scenes I liked. Are you going to be the old man screaming at the clouds in this episode? I might be. This this might be my Lady Gaga. Okay, here we go. This is his Joel episode. (laughs) Zombie baby. Well, the first thing they go, she, uh, Anna runs from the house, takes off, sees all the mass chaos, uh, crashes her car, ends up running into uh, Mackay Pfeiffer and uh, Jake Weber and the Uh, girlfriend that's pregnant. First she runs into Ving Rhames. Yeah. Literally. Uh, no, not, well, he almost shoots her. He almost shoots her. He makes sure that she's not a zombie by telling her to say something because he's already figured out the zombies don't talk. She says, please, and he's satisfied and he uh, doesn't say, come with me. She just decides to follow and he seems to be okay with that. And then they run into the other three yeah. folks who are talking about, well, we're going to the mall and it's just over the hill and they go up over the hill and there's Galen Ross, the store. And that was it for the movie party, wasn't it? Yep, that was the end. You no. Were happy. And, <laughs> and then, of course, they proceed to go into the mall. Yep. Hold up. Um, and yes. Meet the, uh, this is our town security force. The a hole security guards, yeah. Yeah. Uh, thankfully, they took, they got, they got rid of that pretty quick. After they, they locked them up for a little while, let them cool down, and then let it, later let them out. Well, that's after they locked them up for a little while and there was right. lot, there was treated a lot of them like garbage. Going on. It's kind of like give and take, you know. You lock Initially. Me, I'll lock yeah. you. Well, and at first, you know, I thought CJ was an even worse racist caricature than Wally was in the original. And I'm already a little disappointed because we missed scenes like at the housing project where there's a little bit of the interesting social satire, social commentary that Romero's known for. That was cut and discarded as not an important element. And I, I think that was one of the reasons why I'm so hard on this movie is because most of the things I liked about the original were things that were not decided as this is something we're supposed to do again. Well, this but, is much more, this was much more of a mainstream movie. And you know that mainstream movies are much less about social satire and commentary. Right. I mean, it's just, it's kind of the, you, know, you trade one, you know, you trade the box office for the lack of message. Well, but in CJ's defense, he is one of the characters that actually has an arc in the story. Sure. Yeah, by the end, the guy that, that was a hate. bright point for me. Yeah, a guy that you hate that you would b- be okay with him getting killed. By the end, you don't want to see him be one of the people that ends up dead. Well, in right. the end, in the end, he pulls the uh, 
you know, I'm essentially becoming a hero type of thing by blowing up the van with him in it and allowing Redemption. them to escape. Yeah, right. You know, he sacrifices himself, and he's and he's not pleased with with the fact. I mean, it's not like he's doing this. You know, at, at the end, what I, what I did like about his character was when the zombies get in there, he's just like a son of a bitch. Okay, yeah, this like is the figures. Yeah, figures. This yeah. is the way I'm going to go. I get this far. You know, I am 20 feet from the boat, and I'm going to wind up. You know, getting bit, chewed up, and blown up. Um. I love the montage. You talking about when they they're all doing their different things in the yeah how they're idling away their time yeah after they, well don't forget the other people show up after they decide they're gonna they're they're keeping them all and they've secured everything all of a sudden this runaway truck comes barreling into the parking lot and it ends up it has uh, about I don't know six or eight survivors in it yeah man including yeah. one gigantic man that's dressed like a woman that uh, is on already been in a wheelbarrow yeah wheelbarrow lady <laughs> she's a bad bitch mm. so they they take her she dies zombifies out and we get to see that sarah polly uh holds to the reins of the female protagonist not being the screaming and you know when it comes down to it she's the one who stabs her in the face with the uh, fireplace poker eh josh uh-huh. eh? oh yeah that was fine okay yeah that was fine i like that I, yeah fireplace poker to the face that was good and um, then- matt frewer in general like aside from the uh, whining back and forth about like how should we do this should we do this uh, eventually the solution they came to created a really really nice scene with matt frewer and like his performance was one of the true high points of this film for me well matt frewer i i always feel kind of bad for him because like when he was on uh next generation it seemed like he was always getting uh the short end of the stick you know he shows up this mall where potentially they can be you know be safe he's got the rest of his family's been chewed up he's just got him and his daughter left that's it and again just like figures you know i got bit it figures he's gonna he's i like the fact that they let him zombify before they shot him they didn't just execute him you know there was a little drama there i like well they they still didn't i don't think totally understood how it worked and so it gave them a chance to also kind of see what exactly would happen Mm -hmm. but at the same time it was more dignified because they were giving him the chance to live out his last time yes before it happened so um one of the things i put in here is how they what's that before he became max head loss um they they went for a larger cast in this which i think probably was part of another thing that josh disagreed with was the decision to uh, increase the size which uh kind of took away from some of the character building that happened in the original sure um but you were saying you i know you want to get to zombie baby mike so please yeah um while I didn't like Zombie Baby, Zombie Baby was pretty cool looking. <laughs> the, the, the effects whole, were pretty cool, yeah. Yeah the, yeah, the effect was cool. The noise was horrendous. <laughs> that was, and the seeing how um, Andre, you know, you kind of think Andre's going to flip, going to flip out. He's taking care of his, his girlfriend, wife, whatever. She's pregnant with his baby. She's, you know, they, they've got their little cove in that baby, the, the nursery store off the side. You could buy that. But when you go in there and see that he's got, where she's zombified and tied to the bed and he's been I guess taking care of her somehow. Yeah, that that you realize that was like the of all the snapping moments in the in the movie. That was like the most shocking to me the first time I saw the movie. Most snappish. Yes, the most snappish was the that. I mean, it, now he didn't just you know go off the deep end. He took a running leap. <laughs> sure. Yeah. And it's weird because like at one point she's like, you know, we haven't seen you guys in a while. Uh, can you check? And he he very quickly is like, no, she's fine. Uh, don't come look at her. I'm sorry if I'm in that situation. I have a gun immediately. I'm like no fuck that yeah <laughs> yeah you're not okay there's when somebody says something like that you know something's up yeah it's like you show me you don't weird. have a zombie baby <laughs> right 
And did we actually see her get bitten or see any indication of how she got the virus? Yeah, she got bit early on. They when they were they ducked into that nursery a nursery store. She had she had a bite on her arm. Now but they covered and it. They, up. they didn't show yeah. the bite. They just showed her showing the bite. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah she was like, oh, uh, it hurts or it looks like it's bad or that sort of thing. But they didn't show her that she had actually got bitten. They apparently yeah. this had been before they had gotten them all. They that sounds hit. like a German word. Gotten bitten. <laughs> gotten bitten. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> So the montage, uh, was Mike was alluding to earlier is kind of the, they did something similar in, in the original where they showed different aspects of what you do to idle away your time, which we didn't mention yet. I don't think, um, the guy across the street, I can't think of his name all of a sudden. Uh, Andy, I think. Andy, yeah. yeah. Andy's World of Guns, who was also a a, one of the very few things I liked about this movie. Who's the guy that is holed up in his own store that's full of guns, but he has no food or very little food, and he's got it blockaded, so he's there by himself, and then they realize that he's there, and he realizes they're there, and they start communicating via uh, dry erase boards. And um, one of the things him and Ving Rhames do, they build a relationship, and they're playing chess with each other um, across the way, and, and and uh, then they start picking off random zombies in the parking lot based on famous people they look like, like Burt Reynolds and I believe Jay Leno. Jay Leno. Yeah, <laughs> which is a great scene. It's 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 cheesy, but it's fun. Um, and there in this movie, when they kill off the bodies, what do they do with them? They throw them uh, off the roof. Yep. Yay, yep. hey, as yeah. they should. Because I'm sure the person that said, hey, why don't we put it in the food cooler got slapped. <laughs> yeah, no shit. <laughs> all right, like in as the original. Yeah, no, they, they throw them off the roof, which is, is smarter. Plus, you know, they're out there with all the other rotting flesh, which mm-hmm. is something that doesn't get mentioned a lot in these movies, which I think is a uh, the, the Walking Dead comic does a good job with is that if you're in a in a world with the undead, can you imagine the smell? Oh, that's and it's terrible. It's got to be bad. Yeah. And, and it doesn't go away. So, I mean, even if you're in it's a minute you step outside, that's what's permeating the air everywhere. Oh, smells like the inside of a prosthetic leg. But nobody ever oh. seems to address that in the movies. Like you never see people like, like Bigfoot's right, wearing a mask or having Vicks under their nose like a, at a you know, an autopsy or whatever. Hmm. If they're inside, I get it. But outside, I just I don't no, it always kind of bugged me. In that scene where they're on the roof, I got to imagine that that smell is just completely overwhelming. Anyway, moving on. Yes. So we have got like the, I don't know, four or five characters we can care about and the other ones that can pretty much be summed up with a couple of words, which makes me wonder why they expanded the cast. For, uh, to get them out of the mall. To give them, yeah, to give them bodies to get to the end. Because, I mean, yeah, I guess. I mean, you're going to make expendable. And I think that that's a kind of a philosophy decision. It's like, we're going to give you guys a bunch of red shirts that we can tick off whenever we need an action scene. But when their characterization is so shallow, I don't care about their loss. And kind of like uh, you have a couple of points where there are sacrifices that should be heroic, but for me just don't work because the characters that I care about pretty much are Ving Rhames, Anna, and Michael. Unless you plan on killing them, so what? Yeah, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they, uh, as they idle away their time, they uh, the generator, the power goes out. They go down to the garage to where the generator is to get it started. They get attacked, which is pretty intense and insane. And then they realize that there's a couple of tour buses down there. And so after they secure everything, they decide they're going to build getaway A-team style type of vehicles with armor plating and all kinds of stuff so that yeah. eventually they're going to... 
make a run for uh, I like, what's his name's boat. I like uh, C- CJ, right? CJ's uh, a security guard. Yes, yes, the security guard. They're like, we're, we're going to put a bunch of aluminum siding on these things and just drive them out of here. And I was like, yeah, okay. Yeah. That sounds like a great idea. <laughs> I'm for it. Which, Those things are pretty know. badass. And then you got spray paint girl who's out there painting everything. Right. Put and Steve, on. who is just a dick for no reason pretty much the entire time. His <laughs> oh. character arc is completely horizontal. Well, he, yeah, he starts a dick and he remains a dick. But that gives that gives him all the more or gives Anna all the more reason to do what she does later and justifies it a little bit. But so they, they build these things in lieu of possibly having to run. And of course, soon um, things start to break down and and uh, all hell breaks loose. Sure. People make yep. a few mistakes. Uh, Andy doesn't realize how dangerous the zombies are, how imperative it is you don't get bitten. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't realize that even if the zombies aren't interested in the dog, the dog can lead them to a way in to get at Andy. And then Spray Paint Girl decides that the dog is so important that she's going to risk everyone's lives for it. Yeah. And then the, her boyfriend real, decides that she's more important than his own life, which then turns into a rescue mission to get her back from Andy's. Which, which thus was, brings the downfall of them all. Yeah. All for a dog. Honestly, but at, it's at that point, it'd be like, woman. well, she drives off. Well, I'm going to miss her. <laughs> yeah. As, oh, you know? your girlfriend, you can't live without her? Deal. Blam. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it built, it made a lot of, it made a lot of very intense, high, you know, edge of your seat kind of moments. But yeah, I mean, there's a point where you kind of got to, I mean, you got to cut your losses a little bit. One thing I have to say is spray paint girl is fast because they're up on the roof of the mall looking out of looking at the dog and then out of nowhere they're like where did she go and it's a matter of like 15 seconds and she's down two flights of stairs. have you ever worked in a mall there's no easy way to get anywhere in a mall even like if you work there yeah it's like she's got to get down off the roof onto the first floor out of the store to the main mall find the loading dock start up the van and get out of there i don't i don't know why she ever had to worry about anything if she's that fast she could have just jumped off the roof ran over there got the dog and come back right <laughs> well and it's interesting like the downfall in the remake is people's stupidity whereas the downfall of the mall in the original is the horrors of humanity actually just being awful which well, I think that the or- original story is much more interesting it's like we're in a world of monsters and humans are the worst where this we're in a world of monsters and our stupidity is the worst well but in a modern retelling of the story I mean uh, I mean man is yeah man man is selfish and wants what we want when we want it and therefore they're going to react uh, in a different way i disagree and the the walking dead comics and series uh continue to make the original point that man being horrible it's like a hunt the dead fear the living that the in some ways the other survivors are wor- the worst monsters see i, think I don't think that's a dated concept at all no no i i, mean, I agree with you on that but we'll also look at Look at the original Dawn of the Dead, 19, 1978. It was the first of its kind. It was the indie film. You know, it was, he was making a statement. This was his big statement. His, like you said, his comment on society, where there was a lot of societal comments. There was a lot of, uh, sta- a lot of, uh, stereotypes in the way of showing how people become, like, you know, super racist cop is, you know, he uses the, the downfall of humanity to finally indulge in his, you know, I hate everybody that's not like me attitude. And in, 
in The Walking Dead as a comic, it's also the first of its type. Is there is this long term, not, I mean, there were zombie comics beforehand, but they were usually this short survival only type thing. This, uh, kill the zombies, get to a safe spot, there you're good. That type of comic. Um, there wasn't a long term, how would people, you know, discussion in any sort of, in, in any sort of writing at that time that would be like, how would people continue to survive past, you know, the first week? You know, how would people, they're going to try, they're going to ride off into the sunset and then what? Right. And, and I think that was the thing is like The Walking Dead uh, a little bit and very much so the original Dawn of the Dead mm-hmm. asked and answered interesting questions, whereas the remake was just another zombie movie that happened to feature them all. Mm-hmm. I mean, no, no, no. I agree with you on that because because the 78 version and Walking Dead, the comic are the first of its kind. They're the well, it's it's the make it's the initial statement of a genre. Unfortunately, over the years, like from 78, 2003, the four. statement gets watered. What? Oh, four. four. 2004. Yeah. 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 Um, the statement gets watered down. Joel, you're like dying to jump in there. I oh, I just yeah. wanted to point out uh, one of the things Kirkman said that that it fascinated me was he said, I want to make the zombie movie that never ends. And therefore, The Walking Dead was born 10 years ago. And he's he's consistently done that. And, and admittedly, I've only read through about issue 96, but it's uh, it's carried on. And granted, the, the TV show and the, and the comics are a bit of a soap opera with undead tied into it. Sure. But still, it's it's uh, it plays on a lot of different fears and is well written and well crafted. And I I think this is in its own right. I think, you know, you may have maybe taking it a little out of context because in 2004, there wasn't a lot of other blueprints. There was only what came before. And uh, after a certain period, zombie movies kind of went out of vogue unless you're in Italy where they were still making horrible zombie movies, incidentally, which uh, Lucio Fulci is the only one really that made one that stood out his un un. Uh, a uh, bridge sequel to the Dawn of the Dead. Um, anyway, they, uh, here it just kind of died out. So this was kind of the, like Mike said, it's kind of the first of its kind. So it set a tone and a standard for everything that came after it. And you're maybe looking at what's coming after and then going backwards. Well, I, I guess I think that if you can say something interesting in 1978, you can say something interesting more recently. Why, especially, like, okay, let's say we even take out the fact that it's using the title of a film that, for me personally, the bar is set very high. Agreed. Let's say that you call it something different. And I was trying to say, okay, well, does this succeed as a movie? And for me, the answer was, aside from certain moments, it was no. And that actually made me angry because the moments of greatness made me see where there could have been an excellent movie in here somewhere. Like the Matt Frewer scene, the arc with CJ, some of the brilliant special effects spectacle, like with a ambulance, I think it was, it goes out of control and like crashes into a gas station and blows up. There were some moments in here that could have made a zombie movie that I would have been proud to see where the Dawn of the Dead name. And I, I just like, on almost all fronts, it failed for me. I'm kind of actually, as we wrap up here, I'm, I'm kind of the opposite. I didn't really love this movie, but I definitely did not love the first version, the, the original version. I called it. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I honestly, I mean, I am, first of all, I am not a big fan of the, the ham-fisted, over-the-top social commentary. I'm going to make my statement by, like, you know, making people, you know, act like complete stereotypes of themselves. You know, it's like the whole scene with the cop going crazy and everything. Like, yeah, 
yeah, I understand. He, you know, he's making some kind of you know societal message and shining a light on blob racism and yada yada and whatever and all the. Co- but it's it just it takes me completely out of a movie when something is shoved down my throat so hard. It feels like an after-school special or some kind of like really just just bad Christian tract or you know like left behind type of movie where I just just like I could get your message without having it shoved down my throat and that drives me and it's just something that drives me crazy. And Starship Troopers another type of thing that you know the same type of movie. It's like I understand what you're going for, but I you know it just annoys the crap out of me that's so over-ambitious. And not to mention, I just found that movie to be ridiculous and kind of boring. There were some good moments, but like I mean, I just thought the characters, even though you guys liked the character development, I didn't really care for it. Like Roger, I thought was just kind of an idiot. I mean, I didn't. I, I mean, I understand that he was like supposed to be like this happy-go-lucky whatever, but like you know, his character just drove me crazy because he just you know, I mean, just was foolish and not at all professional in his SWAT job and all this kind of crap. You know, just I don't know. I didn't. I didn't like that first movie. And the second movie, I liked simply because it was more entertaining, but it was just simply a popcorn type movie that I really wouldn't care if I ever saw again. So, I mean, mm-hmm. neither one of these movies is ever going to really be something I'm probably going to watch again. I'm in the same boat with Pat on this one. Yeah. I mean, I, I watched the first one. I took a break halfway through it to do the dishes. Uh, and, I mean, it. one of the things I think with the ham-fistedness that Pat's talking about, the thing that got me on the first one was the music, whereas you're supposed to, you know, I know it's supposed to be comic bookish, but when, I'll, I'll tell you, the, the moment where I almost turned off the movie, but then kept watching it because I, you know, I want to see the whole thing for the show was when the pie fight broke out. Yeah, that was just so ridiculous. I'm just at that point. That was the point where I'm like, because like, they, they've already been in the mall for a month at that point. Those pies would have been rotten for one. Yeah, and, and, unless somebody in that group of three of people that were left were making pies every damn day. <laughs> it's possible. You never know. You get bored. You make a pie. Yeah. <laughs> but the 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 pie and seltzer bottle fight was kind of ridiculous. It was a lot ridiculous. Okay, they, it's definitely campy and over the top, and I think that's represented in the first of the Dead Rising series of games where you've got the same kind of thing. You're in the mall. You've got a whole bunch of zombies, got all these outfits you can try on, uh, wacky things you can do. You can kill a zombie with a rake, stick a shower spigot in his head and watch his uh, blood come out. This goofy madcap aspect to it, which is a little over the top and sure is one of the things like it is kind of weird to have in the same movie these big questions being answered like how would you live out your days if you had to survive beyond the night beyond the week you can't, you can't have a pie fight in the same movie that you have sure. the, what are we doing to our to each other that's philosophical a discussion that is a reasonable criticism of the first movie i personally believe that uh the movies the serious parts of the movie the more introspective parts of the movie are good enough that i can forgive the dumb stuff like the guy with the sombrero and the uh, uh yeah. blood pressure machine whereas i think those types of scenes just take away from the message and make it almost more farcical, you know, and less of a, less of a, of a pertinent message to me. Sure. You, you dilute your own message by, by, you know, putting, you know, crazy antics into your movie. That's my opinion. I'm, I'm not saying that, that that's not realistic. There wouldn't be things to do and there wouldn't be goofy things like that to do to be, and, and you might not, you know, you might not have that kind of fun every now and then with it. But I mean, when you're being surrounded by zombies and it's actually, you know, I mean, by that point that you've survived this long, if you're in a roving group of maniacs, you know that in large groups, you can't just fuck around with them. If you've got two or three zombies and there's eight of you, you can fuck around with them. But if there's ten of 
you and a hundred of them, maybe maybe don't take your blood pressure. <laughs> yeah, and I'm thinking that they were probably not used to encountering quite so many zombies as the number that was converging on the mall because the zombies decided they wanted the place. And I think there is an element of, well, what sort of behaviors start to creep out, whether they're childish or stupid, that because society's not there anymore, you don't have people looking at you like you're weird if you're going to run around in a sombrero, sombrero swinging a sledgehammer around. Right. And, you, and uh, you give yourself like, you know, shadow run nicknames like Sledge and Blade. Right. And some of that comes out in the like society's broken down. So we're just doing whatever because this is what we do now. I mean, these these guys obviously were not, you know, any kind of criminal geniuses because they see the mall and they're playing it. Hey, let's just take it. And they just smash the door down. You know, so they're right. obviously not like, you know, diehard level criminals or anything. So, I mean, the fact that they're smashing, you know, clowns in the face with a pie, not necessarily, you know, a leap for the character, but it is definitely a misstep for the movie. Sure. And the biker gang does in the first one mostly get away. There's, yeah. I think yeah. we see about, what, seven or eight deaths? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they had probably 20 people with them. Yeah. So, all right, so rundown. Should we talk about the ending or is Joel yeah. got something we, else? Well, no, we need to talk about the ending of the, of the remake because it's drastically different from the original. Sure is. Um, and I think, and again, we're probably going to disagree. Um, mm-hmm. When I left the theater after seeing this film, I, I said, it, I said, and I stand by this to some extent until I saw, well, no, I, I would have seen House of a Thousand Corpses. I, I believe I said it was the best zombie movie I'd seen in about a decade, which is probably true in terms of movies that came out prior to it. But um, at the end of the movie, they, uh, no spoilers, I guess. So they are all, they have one truck left. They're driving to the dock. Um, they, CJ has bought them some time. They've killed what's his nuts, um, the asshole. They get to the dock. Uh, you uh, also missed how we lost two characters in a slapstick accident, which is always awesome. Well, there's the old crossdresser and the young girl that uh, ends up, she gets chainsawed in half because of uh, an accident with the way they've designed the the stupid the van. But and that's that that in itself is reality. I mean, that's probably what would have happened if you're wielding a chainsaw inside of a bus trying to cut zombies in half. Um, yeah, the, I, it, that just bothered me because they were two almost entirely pointless characters that had even more pointless death. I yep. think it, it served a point. It showed that, you know, don't get too cocky because you're not dealing with toys. But anyway, so they get to the dock. Um, your main love interest of Anna at this point is bitten. Um, they're going to get on what's his nuts his boat and take it to an island somewhere out in the middle of Lake Michigan or whatever and uh, start a new life where there's hopefully no zombies. And he stays at the dock because he knows he's going to turn and there's no hope for him. So he says he's going to stay and watch the sunset. They leave and you hear him a gunshot happen as uh, the zombies start to come down, bear down on him. So then they start doing this jump cut through the credits where they're on the boat. They find a cooler that's got a dead, got a dead head. Is it a head in it? I think yep. it's like a torso or something. Yeah, it's it's a dead body piece in there that's covered in maggots. And meanwhile, they're videotaping the whole thing with the camera and that uh, jerk face has been using prior to that. Um, they cut to where they finally get to an island after many days of being out on the water. And they, the dog exits the the ship, tears off into the boat or into the woods. The girl immediately, of course, goes to chase. And soon they're all uh, jump cutting to where they are not alone. The zom- the zombies have infested the island as well or were already there the whole time. And so all their, their fruitless, the entire trip was fruitless. So they're leaving the mall and uh, where they were theoretically safe, I suppose, or could have been, and ended up dying. Yep. At least that's what we're led to believe. Which to me, um, and I'm a fan of this film, so I differ in. I guess I thought it was a nice twist to the ending, personally. 
not a happy ending. No, it was almost a lead into um, uh, there's there's like the next zombie movie I recall in the zombie blank of the blank ones is that actually takes place on an island. Land of the Dead. Land of the Dead, where there's two two families. No, that's Survival of the Dead. Survival of the Dead. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. Where they have the two warring clans. Yeah, and they're keeping their zombified family members in uh, corral. One wants to keep them alive. One wants to kill them. Yeah. yeah. Um. So I I don't know. I what other thing? Oh, a point a point where I mean I enjoyed this movie. I like I'm like I'm with Pat. It's a popcorn movie. Sit back. It's a zombie flick. You know, blood zombies. People in chase make bad decisions. Ooh, one of the things that I had issue with was when they were complaining about the motor not working. They're in a sailboat. Why don't they? The put sailboats a... have motors though, don't they? No, no, they do. And that's the thing is like when they when this when the the engine blew out, they're like, oh god, that's it. Oh, we're screwed. Like, we're no, screwed. I'm like, why don't you put the sail up? Which they they not, not everybody knows how to sail either. Right, they're not boat people. The boat, the guy that owned the boat was dead. Not too tough to sail a boat. <laughs> It is if you don't know nobody, what... Not everybody know about boating. All nobody right. got time for that. Anyway. Wow. <laughs> so, are, are we at that point, I guess? Thumbs I mean, up you guys thumbs have, down, first movie. Yeah, the ending, it was like, oh, okay, so even all the sacrifices were pointless. Yeah. Glad, glad I wasted two hours on this. See, but, but I thought that's that... That's life, though. That's, I mean... Yeah. Exactly. The good guy doesn't always win. You know, the, they don't always get away. Yeah. Sometimes the good guy has to watch a pile of shit for two hours. <laughs> you can't. You can't. Sometimes I mean, the good guy drives off in a truck and that's the end of the movie <laughs> sometimes, sometimes the good guy looks around hey that was a little reference for you joel by the way yeah. are you talking the about commando the, again the ending of naked in new york how eric stoltz just getting the truck drives away in the scene of the movie everything's gonna be all right pat that's the theme of that film everything's gonna that's be what, right. that's what i'm telling you i was trying yeah. i was referencing something for you and you didn't even well i appreciate it sometimes the good guy anyway. watching the movie and it turns into a three stooges sketch <laughs> <laughs> but i mean so who's the, on eric stoltz what <laughs> how many i mean how many though movies like this do you find where at the end there's i mean they don't always end happily sure and i'm not always down on a negative ending yeah but you got to earn that uh and i don't believe this movie ever at any point did like cabin in the woods has a downer ending but it earned it yeah i'll give you that okay all right i could see that i, I this, this did this did not have enough of the uh pull on the heartstrings to just pull the rug up underneath you but i can get sure that. like maybe if i'd cared about more of the characters who weren't uh ving rames anna and uh the two guys who end up sacrificing themselves on the dock like right. you've lost half of the characters I care about already, and then you make their sacrifice meaningless. Yes, and that makes I, it that much harder to swallow the fact that there there's no hope. Yeah, but I mean, I mean, that, that, I, mean that, that, I, that I honestly think that's a little more realistic because in a real zombie apocalypse, I think pretty much we're all just going to be fucked. <laughs> exactly. That's that's the, what I liked about it is that it didn't pull that punch. It didn't it right. didn't say that. Oh, whoops! That where they found a loophole. They so, ended up going for what what any rational person would go for, and it ended up being the wrong choice. So. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't to disagree. Buy, when in Rome, yeah. you know. Blah, blah, I'm just blah, blah. gonna, yeah, but I, I don't think that you can have realism be a trapdoor for poor storytelling. Because the most realistic movie is one where the hero only lives for five minutes because he's torn apart by zombies, and we're constantly shifting perspective characters without rhyme or reason. That's not good storytelling. So okay. you're thinking of a uh, uh, feast. There's an example where the hero dies in the first five minutes. Um, so the original film, just before we get to <laughs> yeah um is my all-time favorite horror film hands down and my favorite zombie film dawn of the dead 78 is the one i i once spent a day i 
watched all three versions and then I watched it again with this commentary on. So I watched it four times in, in one sitting. And this I is how much time. I love this movie and I've seen it too many times to count. Same with the remake. I saw it in the theater with Matt Brown and we both loved it and I've seen it countless times since then and I still think it's one of the best recent zombie movies. I won't say it's the best, but it's one of and I think it... it I like it 28 lives. Days Later so much more. But it's not a zombie movie though. Well, it technically it's is. It's plague. But it, but it is. It's I mean, a virus it, movie. It's different. It really is a zombie movie. Come on, we all know it, but I mean... Nope, it's not. Oh. It's a subgenre of the zombie film. It To, to 98% of the world, it's just a zombie movie. Because they're stupid. Well, that doesn't make it you know necessarily incorrect. <laughs> you know, because the, the dictionary all the time accepts what the popular public you know believes whether it's right or not. Okay, so uh, obviously Humpy is at the dictionary now. You know, I'm I'm uh, hands up. Days later was a way good zombie movie. all the way up for both films. Fantastic, I love them both tremendously. I, I like I'm the fact that zombies on the first won. and and a reluctant thumbs up on the second. I, I mean, I'm not proud of it. I, it's probably it's a it's a half thumb. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas uh, Dawn of the Dead is my number four favorite horror film, but it is my number one zombie film for the original. So I'm an overwhelming thumbs up for the old and an overwhelming thumbs down for the remake. I probably won't watch either of them ever again. Yeah, same here. Definitely won't watch, watch the first one. I mean, that's I that was that. called. That's fine. <laughs> Two and a half hours, man. I, w- I went ahead and deleted that off of my hard drive as soon as I was done watching <laughs> Wow. I, like, okay, I own yeah. I own the original I own the box set for the 78 one that, that has the three versions and I own a second copy of it with the theatrical version on it I hope you kept the receipt yeah. and I, I I just want to throw this out there I know a lot of like good old boy redneck types down here that, that were kind of like the Roger character and I don't know of one of them that goes around saying yeehaw all the time it's not a real thing that's like such an awful character do they ever say we've got this by the ass <laughs> it's not like a <laughs> Dallas thing versus Houston so next week, <laughs> just saying. Uh, next week, trick or treat and trick or treat. Yeah, trick or treat or trick or treat. Trick or treat. One has two rock stars in it, and the other one is got a dude with a bag on his head. Trick or treat. Never seen either of these. That's movies. Sam. Yes, it's his Sam. name's Sam. Oh God, are you gonna start geeking out about this before we even get to it? Yes. It's a great movie. Yes. Okay, I love. Pretty okay. good. You know, I'm, I'm gonna Joel. I yeah. love running zombies. There you go. I do too. I'm good. a fan. Okay, good. Yeah, I, I didn't like running. But virus I agree with victims John, are not zombies. Should deteriorate. If they had deteriorated, that would have been awesome. Oh, yeah. yeah. I've yet to see a movie where they really kind of do that up right. But yeah, yeah. It, it'll like come. If, if you could, like, for the first 24 hours, you're like a super zombie and then like become a normal zombie and then you become a shit zombie. Yeah. Be- Although I do. I also appreciate the remake used Richard Cheese. I'm a big fan. His cover of Down with his cover of uh, Down with the Sickness. Yeah, that was great. Yeah, that was that was pretty damn awesome. Yeah. So, but next week we're going to be looking at Trick or Treat, which share a name but are not necessarily a remake or actually even have anything to do with one another. They're nope. just two different Halloween themed films that have the uh, same ish name. Yes. So, really? I didn't know that. Yeah. They're not I've remakes. never seen either one. How would I know that? So if you're listening to this episode, go watch those. You'll be better prepared to listen for next week. That is your <laughs> homework. Go do that. As always, you can find our archives on iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, TalkShoe, and other fine podcasting directories, as well as Saturdays at noon on Geek Life Radio, and always at our home on the web, www.40go14.com, or on the Musings of a Geek Podcast Network. You can also get us on Saturdays at noon. Did we say that? Uh, yes, yes, I said Geek that. Life Radio. I said that. that. Geek That's Life right. Radio. All all right, I went away for a moment. I'm sorry. Phone number. Somebody throw the phone number out there. 708, now wrap. <laughs> 708-669-9727. Give us a call. Yell at us about guns. We love that. <laughs> Tell them how wrong they are about both films. Yeah. If you Don't call and dead. you talk about guns, we won't make fun of you because then you will scare us. 
<laughs> All right, I think that's going to wrap it up for this week. Yeah, good night, folks. I'm going to load my deagle in case he comes after me. <laughs> Shoots gremlins. Shut up. <laughs> good night. <laughs> You are now leading the world of Musings of a Geek Podcast Network. Stay geeky, my friends. Yeah, I'm here. I've oh. been here. Oh. I'm is, here. is Josh back? <gasps> is half back? I know how to tell. Boots and pants and boots and pants and boots. <laughs> Josh is back.